Hello and welcome back to Lisa Express Podcast. My name is Elizabeth Akunili. If you're listening to me for the first time, then welcome home. On this particular series, we've been discussing your body stores your stories. And in the last episode, I had said, and I'm still saying, that your body is a storyteller. We all are storytellers and our body stores those stories. And so last week, we did talk about how your body stores grief, how your body responds and why you respond to things the way you respond to them. And today, I'm going to talk about pleasure in your body. What does pleasure mean to you as a person? And it's not just because pleasure is defined that way in the dictionary. It's that something has happened to your body that has defined pleasure to your body in that way. That's why when people come to therapy and they say, oh, I'm addicted to masturbation. Will that be a problem in my relationship? I always don't answer the question. I don't answer it directly because it's not a straight question. Why do you masturbate? How did you start masturbating? How often do you masturbate? What does masturbating do for you? Because if we cannot articulately answer those questions, we really cannot find how it will affect your relationship. Because there's a possibility that because you've masturbated so often, you become sexually selfish and you don't even know about it yet until you have a partner and all you do and focus is for your partner to satisfy you. You don't realize that because you've been satisfying yourself for one year, two years, three years, or because you've had to satisfy yourself every day for the last 365 days, that you really don't know how to share sexually. You don't know how to share sexual pleasure. So when you ask me if being addicted to masturbation or if masturbating is going to affect your relationship, I'm going to look for what that pleasure is to your body first. So let's get into today's topic. Yeah, pleasure in your body. When something is pleasurable, it is something we like, something we would like to do again. We would like to do it again if it's pleasurable. If I give you ice cream and you like sweet, you have a sweet tooth and you don't mind cold, you're going to come back again. You're going to come back again. As a matter of fact, we found abusers to give their victims something pleasurable after an abuse. Say, for example, a small child is raped and then the person buys them sweets after it or the person gives them money. The person is trying to give them a reason to return, not return for the pain or the abuse, but return for the pleasure at the end of the abuse. That is how some people have gotten into traumatic sexual bonds, is the fact that beside the pain, there is a bit of pleasure. And some people are of the opinion that pain and pleasure move together. Some people are of the opinion that pleasure is just pleasure and pain is just pain. That's not what we're talking about today. I brought it up to say, okay, there are these nuances when it comes to this topic. All right. Now, when something is pleasurable, you want to return to it. That means whatever is pleasurable to your body, your body wants to return to it. If I go to the gym, for example, the gym isn't necessarily pleasurable because I have to get up from my bed. I have to move, especially if I'm someone who loves to be indoors. I have to go out. I have to exercise. Dumbbells, irons, ice cream. They are duty. They are heavy duty. They are hard work, right? I have to put in the work. So it's not necessarily pleasurable. But when I'm done, I love how my body feels, not the pain. I love the feedback my body gives me. The, oh yeah, you're taking care of me. The dopamine release. I love that. I love how I look when I dress up. I love the compliments that come with it. And so that pleasure doesn't let me focus on the pain of going to the gym. It doesn't let me focus on the discomfort, right? So that pleasure is, um, should I say salary, is a wage for my hard work. When it comes to pleasure in your body, 
the question is, what have you been investing into? What has been satisfying your body? And in this case, let's go sexual. Let's go sexual here. What has been sexually pleasurable for you? The reason some people have problems with new sexual relationships is not because their new sexual relationships suck. It's because their previous sexual relationship was different. And so your old partner used to flip you in a certain way and start in a certain way or finish in a certain way or do a certain thing at certain heights. And you're familiar with that. Your body has stored that story. Your body knows how to go back and retrace that memory. Because we will talk about this next month when we talk about sex engine. Yeah, your body has stored that information. Your body has processed it over a period of time. And so we know, oh, when we when when we begin, we begin with some cuddles. And when we're done, we have pillow talks. But this new person doesn't have pillow talks. And now your body's responding like, I'm deprived of something. That's because of the way you store pleasure. And that's why it's important in today's episode that you understand that because your body stores story, that's why you respond to pleasure the way you respond to it. Maybe your new relationship doesn't suck. Maybe you're trying to define your new relationship in the shadows of your last one. And that's why it's important that after a breakup, you don't just pretend to move on, that you actually move on. Now, move on doesn't necessarily mean I hate my ex. Move on doesn't necessarily mean that, oh, I'm angry with them or they're going to suffer because they left me or because I left them or I didn't have fun when I was with them. No, move on means that I am able to detach. That is where the hard work is. The hard work of detaching. Because if you do not detach, you're going to carry that story into the next phase of your life. You're going to carry that story into your next relationship. You're going to carry your sexual stories, the, the stories you've both have, you both have written in your bedroom. You're going to carry it into your next relationship and into your next bedroom. And you're going to start having clash of opinions and clash of perceptions, not because they're not good, but because of the stories you've stored. Now, if you're someone who has been exposed to a bit of bondage and a bit of pain sexually. When you come into a relationship where it's all cuddles, it doesn't align with the stories you have. And this is where I speak to abuse victims and people who have been victims of trauma to understand that it will not be an easy ride when you move from your first abusive relationship, not your first abusive relationship, when you get into your first healthy relationship. So you're coming from an abusive environment and you're going into a healthy relationship. You've been able to heal from the abuse and then you've been able to raise your standard, raise your personal level of respect and your personal body esteem. If you don't know what body esteem is, just scroll down, down down there's an episode called body esteem go listen to it it tells you body esteem is how you feel about your body go listen to it um and so you've been able to raise your body esteem and you've been able to set a standard and you didn't settle for less you finally met an amazing person someone who is healthy enough and now you're in a relationship with this person mind you it won't be easy because your body has stored grief and your body has stored pain and your body expects grief and expect and expects pain but you're not going to get that in this new relationship because this new relationship is healthy. So what you have to do is you're going to have to detach. Every time you expect pain, you're going to have to detach from that old memory. and You're going to have to start building new memories. I cannot teach how to detach in this podcast because it is different for each person. That's why you and your therapist, you and your counselor have to design a specific program that is unique to you. Your therapy sessions are unique to you. Even when you're doing group coaching, there's a part where every person has to tell their coach what 
what they want to achieve and the coach has to assess each person individually. Assessments cannot be group assessments. We all cannot fill the same form, right? If I run a driving desire assessment for 10 people, I actually expect 10 separate results. You all might have, um, say two people might have be high in growth and um, be high in significance or be high in love and connection. It doesn't necessarily mean they're going to have the same percentage of those things, right? So even when you're in a group coaching, be very specific to what about what you want to achieve and then focus on it. Now, back to this. When you are moving from a toxic relationship to a healthy relationship, the reason you're still reacting to this new person like they are the old person is because your body has taught the story. And how does your body store stories and retrieve those stories? It's by the way you think and by the way you process information. When you get new information, your brain has to go back and do what is called some scanning. Literally, I'm, I'm trying to look for regular words, right? You know, when you click search, search bar on your laptop, and then you search for a file, you search for the title of the file you can remember. So you see something, your brain literally just does search, searches for that word and begins to look for every information that is similar to that. And then it retrieves it. So there are three major ways your brain processes things. You have what is called deletion, distortion, and generalization. Deletion is when an information doesn't seem to make sense. It doesn't look like something I am going to need in the future. So I just delete it. Like this is nonsense. Maybe I'm going through the comment section and someone looks at me and says, you're not even pretty, but I have very good self-esteem. And I know that I'm a very pretty woman and I'm very attractive. And it will be your honor that I even look at you twice, right? That comment doesn't make a thing. It doesn't affect me. I just deletes the information. It's useless information. However, if I see something that looks like something I used to know, there's a possibility that I would distort it into what I used to know. Say, for example, um, okay, say your dad is not someone who drinks, right? And then you go in front of a beer parlor and you see your dad in front of a beer parlor. Your brain is going to distort that information because the father you know does not drink. The father you know will never visit a beer parlor. And this person looks exactly like your dad. Here's what your brain is going to do. Your brain is going to convince you that that man just looks like your dad. That man cannot be your dad. Except you now take the step further. You slow down to process the information. This is why you are a human being. You're not an animal. You're not a reptile right you take the time to process the information maybe you get close to your dad you your dad you go to gather more data or you call your dad like hey dad where are you and like and then he goes i'm in front of the beer like, oh, i'm looking at someone that looks like you or you call your dad and say oh no i'm in uk like, oh okay i'm seeing someone that looks like you right now then you've cleared that information and so the information is no longer distorted. Now that you've confirmed the person is not your dad, what you're going to do is go back again and delete the information. Or you just anytime you talk about it, oh, I met someone that looks like my dad. But if you had not called your dad, if you had not confirmed the information, your brain was going to settle for a distortion. It's just going to convince itself that, oh, that was not your dad. Or if you were having problems at home with your dad, maybe your dad was becoming shady, you've not been trusting his movement lately. And then you see someone that looks like him in front of the beer parlor, your brain is going to call that mm-hmm. he's been shady lately. This is him. He has started changing his ways. He's beginning to misbehave. This is what happens when you think your partner is cheating on you. Because you think your partner is cheating on you, you're beginning to have doubts about them. Every time they do something, your brain distorts the information. It's the same thing that happens when you're having an argument with someone. They're saying a different thing, but you're hearing a different thing because that's what you want to receive. And so what happens is you distort the information. The final way your brain processes things is through generalization. 
That's why you don't learn how to drive twice. You learn to drive in a manual car. You don't have to necessarily go learn for six months to drive an automatic. The moment you get in an automatic, a few lessons just put you through and then you know what to do. You don't have to drive a Ford and then learn to drive a Ferrari. It's just driving. You learn a few things about this new car, about the new model, but you definitely know your basics about driving, right? That happens on the basis of generalization. So generalization is good. When people say, oh, don't generalize, I'm like, eh, it does depend on the context. Because if your brain doesn't generalize, you're going to have to learn every single life activity. And you don't need to learn every single life activity. Now, back to pleasure. When you've been exposed to certain things sexually, your brain takes those information and it preserves them. And so if you used to be sexually abused as a child, this person will abuse you and then they'll give you something nice at the end. Maybe they say they rape you, whether you permit them um, or not. Um, so if it's a rape, you definitely didn't permit them, right? Um, this person rapes you, whether in your vagina or in your anus. This person touches you as against your will, whatever it is that happens. And every time it happens, the person gives you, say, money or the person gives you something you've craved for. Maybe you went to this big uncle and you say, oh, I need textbook. And he says, I'm going to buy your textbook. I'll do anything for you if you do anything for me. Right now, your brain feels like in order for me to get what I want in life, there has to be a bit of pain and then a bit of pleasure. Now, what happens is your information regarding pleasure is distorted on the basis of what you used to know. And that's the question I'm asking you right now. What does pleasure mean to you sexually? Because... We all have different definitions of pleasure. If you cannot define what pleasure is to you sexually, you are going to walk into your relationship under an assumption that you know what it is. And then your partner touches you and you're complaining that they're not doing it well. But you don't even know what well is to you. And this is where we come into the conversation of masturbation and solo sex. Because some people are of the opinion that in order for you to be great in bed, you need to know what you want. And the way to know what you want is to experiment with what you already have. But then there are a few dangers to that. One of which is sexual selfishness. Because if you do something by yourself for such a long time, you have the attitude of, I don't need you to get it done. That is part of the reason why certain people are afraid of strong women because they feel, oh, she doesn't need me. I need someone who needs me. Maybe you don't need someone who needs you. You need someone who wants you, someone who will choose you because when people need you, it's almost like they're on crack, right? They, they don't get you. They're shaky and they're fidgety and they don't have a life without you. You don't want that kind of dependency to cripple both your lives. What you need is someone who wants you, someone who can do without you, but they're making a choice to be with you. Now, when it comes to masturbation, you need other information as well. What are you thinking about for you to for you to masturbate? Are you masturbating to pornography? Because that brings us into another thing entirely. If you masturbate into pornography, it means what is pleasurable to you is what you're seeing on the screen. Mind you, what you're seeing on the screen is a script, first of all. That's one side of it. The second side of it is that your brain is designed to want more. So when you have sexual experiences, whether it was intercourse, whatever it was that was sexual, your brain releases chemicals for pleasure right you have if you were with someone when you when you had sex if you had sex with someone if it was mutual there's a release of oxytocin that binds you with a person that makes you feel loved makes you feel like they are trustworthy like you're trustworthy everything is cool and we all love each other in the moment that's oxytocin at work right and so if that happens you feel good and you feel comforted 
But if you had to do it by yourself and you had to do it with pornography, all you're looking at is the way it was done. You're focused on the how. You're not focused on the who. Those are two things. When you focus on the how of sexual experiences, you're focusing on the style, you're focusing on the technique, you're focusing on the voice speech, you're focusing on the tone. That's why we lie to each other when sex is. I read a statistic one time, unfortunately I can't remember where I read it from, but I remember the discrepancy between the women who said they had orgasms and the men who said their women had orgasms. When they asked the women, how good is your sex life and how often do you have, have orgasms? The women told the researchers and in their surveys, their answers were more than 30% lesser than the men. You women, this was a heterosexual survey by the way, these women have sex with these men. Yet the discrepancy was crazy. It was over 30, 40%. So if you, this set of women have sex with this set of men, and this set of men believe these women have orgasms, and these women say they don't have orgasms, it means they've been pretending to have orgasms in the presence of this man. And the reason they feel the pressure to say they have orgasms when they don't and to show things they don't experience is because they are focused on the how they think sex is supposed to be, that they don't listen to their partner, they don't connect with their partner, they are not there with their partner, they are not having an expression, they're trying to impress somebody, they're trying to sustain somebody else, they're not honest with what's going on here because if we have sex and there is no orgasm did we make it to a plateau why didn't we were you dry did you hate it could we have done something differently there was no conversation somebody just did what they thought the other person wanted so if you masturbate to pornography there is the danger of that there is the danger of focusing on technique over personality where you don't bond when you have a relationship. Because when you are in a relationship now, you're thinking, I need to do it to her to be as good as it was in the movie. I need to do it to him like it looked in the movie. I need to be able to flip and do 360. I need to be able to do bridge. I need to be able to get 69, right? That's your focus because that's what you've been watching. And so your ambition is to only replicate a script you've seen. So we already spoke about the danger, the danger of being one-sided, the danger of being selfish. And then now there is the danger of wanting to perform. And that's why you also have performance anxiety in your bedroom, right? Then there's also the possibility of being addicted to pornography because the way your brain processes pleasure and processes all forms of information is that when you have chemical releases, you want a higher dose because now you're familiar with it. That's why your favorite food as a child doesn't feel so favorite after five years because you've tasted the same level of goodness over and over and over and over and over and it's becoming boring and then you need a bit of spice. That's why you find out you pick up a few good food along the way as you grow up as an adult, right? Pick up something more. For some people, they pick up snacks like pizza and the rest of it. You achieve one thing in the office and you feel good and you're thinking, oh, by the time I make it to manager, I'll be good. But then you make it to manager and then you chase for general manager. That's dopamine release. You want a heavier dose. And so another challenge you risk when your sexual pleasure is dependent on pornography is that you risk chasing a higher dose of chemical release, which keeps sucking you deeper into the world of pornography. And so you used to just do pornography that was funny 
in your mind. Like it was funny to you. And then after a period of time, you notice that you're beginning to push into abusive content gradually. You begin to enjoy scenes where there is pain being inflicted on someone else, where someone is being abused without their consent. It started as hilarious content and then it keeps getting deeper and deeper. And now your brain is beginning to blend pain and pleasure together. And so now that you are in the real world, your partner is coming into the relationship hoping for cuddles and pillow talks, but you're coming with BDSM from your porn world in mind. Pleasure is not the same thing to both of your bodies. You are not going to be sexually satisfied in this relationship, I am sorry to say, except one person can step down from their ladder or one person can climb up to where they are. And so this episode is to help you understand and cause you to analyze what is pleasure to my body and where did I learn this definition of pleasure? Where did it come from? Is my definition of pleasure something I made up, something I want? I know all the information you have in your life is based on what you've seen, heard, read, touched, felt, right? That's how you gather information. Is When we had the whole series on trauma, which is what we had last month, we spoke about how trauma can be personal, it can be secondary. I defined trauma in three layers. It could be primary, meaning it happened to you. It could be secondary, meaning it happened to someone you knew and heard from. Or it could be tertiary, meaning it's happening to you your society and you're just absorbing it from your society. This is where we have generations of trauma that is not just happening in your house, but it's happening in your whole society at the same time. Communal traumas, right? Maybe from war or from slavery or something like that. Those are communal traumas. Those for me are tertiary traumas. Okay. Those kind of things can be absorbed. Right. Information can be absorbed as well. The same thing with your sexual definitions and your definitions of pleasure. So ask yourself, when I say I want pleasure in my body, what am I asking for? When I say the sex was not good enough, what am I looking for? When I say, oh, the porn I watched was not good enough, what was I chasing? Because if you cannot query these things, everything is just going to go. They say when you don't have a destination, everywhere is a destination. And when you don't have a place you're going to, anywhere you stop is destination. And um, that might not be such a great thing sexually because there is the risk of being highly dissatisfied. And you're just going to wake up one morning and be like, oh, this relationship is not working. This marriage is not working. This relationship is not working for me. I'm walking out of it. And when they ask you what it is, you can't actually say what it is because you've been sexual deprived for such a long time but the question is what are you deprived of so if you're a single person listening to me this is the best time to begin to query your definitions of pleasure this is the best time to begin to listen to your body what is my definition of pleasure how is pleasure stored up in my body how do i feel about my body go listen to body esteem how do I feel about my body? Do I feel great about my body? Do I like my body? Do I want to share this body? Why do I want to share my body? Why don't I want to share my body? So until next week, Monday, yeah, I had fun. I had fun in this particular episode. I'm more co-headed today. I'm not blowing up. <laughs> And I love it. Yes. So see you next week. And if you have any questions, see, we've made it easy for you. All you need to do is go to www.lisaexpress.com. We have an anonymous form where you can ask us anything on sex, anything on trauma and anything regarding building a stable relationship. Okay. Don't be shy. Just go there. It's anonymous. They won't even ask for your name. So it's not like we have your name and your email, but we won't publish it. No, we don't even know who you are. Just go there and ask your questions. All right. Bye.